0: Welcome to the Dear Younger Me podcast. My name is Whitney and I am your host. We are four episodes in y'all and going strong. Today's episode is Dear Younger Me, Healing is Not Linear. But don't we wish it was though? My first therapist ever, will preface by saying she was not a good fit for me and maybe lasted like three sessions. However, she did say something that has stuck with me. It's kind of funny, I'm not gonna lie. She was one of those therapists that just ask you these really open ended questions. And I learned that that is not what I need or how I do well in therapy. I truly needed guidance and someone that was able to gently guide me because, you know, I have issues with like connecting to my feelings. That's something that um, came from a really just like codependent, lifestyle, um, a lifestyle where I was like always walking on eggshells. So like, I kind of had to like turn off my emotions. And so I'm still working on that. Um, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not as easy to access like what I'm feeling exactly. Um, but anyways, one thing she said was you're going to need therapy for the rest of your life. At the time I was like, uh, thank you. I was just getting into therapy and was feeling truly unstable. So That wasn't exactly the words I wanted to hear from my therapist, but looking back, she was not necessarily wrong. The truth is I want to be in therapy for the rest of my life because that means continuously working on myself and how I show up for myself and in relationships and in the world for the rest of my life. I heard this quote once that said something along the lines of, we go to therapy for the ones that won't that used to be my sole motivation for going to therapy, dealing with the relationships I had in my life that I could not handle because I did not know what boundaries were. Now I know what they are. And in therapy, I talk about a lot of those relationships and things that they make me feel, but I also just talk about me and my life and my dreams. And, you know, I don't have that like anger attached to, you know, why I went to therapy in the first place was like, you know, I was dealing with relationships where, um, they were not going to therapy and they were just so messy and like there was chaos and just lack of boundaries. And it was just, it was real messy. Um, so I wanted to know how to be able to calm myself down, calm the triggers down, um, be like, less reactive because usually like I'm the kind of person that when someone is like yelling at me or making me feel uncomfortable, like I shut down. I usually don't react necessarily. Um, Sometimes I do and I'll be like, what the heck? Like what's going on? But I'm not really like a fighter necessarily. Um, And the people that I'm talking about really are. So it was hard for me to learn how to walk away and like calm down. And, you know, sometimes just like be silent because sometimes you just got to walk away. Um, And so that's my sole motivation for going to therapy was learning how to walk away and just be okay with that. Um, A lot of us fight in relationships and like, you know, when we're triggered because we want the person so badly to see our side. We want them to understand how we're feeling and it's frustrating that they don't, you know. So that is really why I started going to therapy. Um, the more I dug into therapy, I realized like, wow, a lot of the things that I'm doing aren't healthy either. Like shutting down isn't really good for you at all. Um, and not being able to connect with your emotions isn't good. And just, there was just a big list that was unraveled in therapy. And some of it I was aware of some of it I wasn't, but anyways, I don't really think you can put a limit on therapy because we are always evolving, we're always changing and it is always gonna be a healthy thing to be able to process that. Life's hardships, life's wins, our relationships as they ebb and flow throughout life. So healing will be ongoing throughout life as you learn to unravel the past and cope with it and even learn how to navigate new obstacles that may come up. The first time I remember feeling any type of healing was my junior retreat in high school that I talked about in the first two episodes of the podcast. It opened my eyes to this feeling of hope that I had been feeling, but it felt attainable for the first time. I felt like the hurt for what I had been through had a purpose and that my life actually meant something, not just to me, but to a stranger that I read my witness talk to in a crowd of students or a friend that told me that my story and my life impacted theirs in a big way, I think part of me realized how small I was in this world, but how big of an impact someone so small could really have. When you're in your late teenager years, early 20s, I feel like a part of us feels like we're healed or have it all together, but looking back, man, I was a train wreck. (laughs) Maybe I had the same like foundational values and personality I do now, but mentally I was very unstable. Just searching for that missing piece. There were times when I'd feel like I was on this upward slope and growing. And then when I least expected it, another bad depressive episode struck like lightning or a season of suicidal ideation came flooding in. I can't actually count those times because there were honestly too many to count, but there were years that went by that I thought maybe my depression and suicidal ideation was a phase and that I was healed or just in my head, but then it would creep in reminding me that it was still very much present. A friend of mine and I were just talking about this the other day, and I can talk about this in another episode too in more detail, but there were times, because I didn't start medication really until my like, I tried it a little bit in my early twenties, but not really until I like hit 25, 26. And there have been times when I've been on medication for a while and I'm like, wow, I'm doing so good. Like, I don't even need this medication. And then I'm like, oh, the medication's working. Like, what am I talking about? <laughs> Cause as soon as I got off, it would be like crazy again. So I can definitely talk about medication in another episode because it is so important if you have mental health issues to be on medication so that you can be stable and that you can, you know, get deeper in therapy. Because, you know, when you're unstable, it is really hard to get deep in therapy because sometimes I walk away from therapy and I feel exhausted. Like I get like more depressed than I was, in the be- in, was to begin with. And like right now I'm doing EMDR And this stuff can be really heavy that, you know, we're pulling up memories that really hurt. And I'm only doing EMDR right now because I am in a good place on my medication. Like the suicidal ideation, the depression, like the depression's still there, but like suicidal ideation really is like in the back of my brain. Like I don't really feel that as much anymore. And yeah, so it is just so important to you know, find a medication that works for you. That way you can, you know, dive into the healing portion of therapy because honestly, without going deep in therapy and like, you know, really getting real with my therapist about what was going on and just like telling the absolute truth, um, I don't think that I'd be as healed necessarily, whatever you want to say. I don't think I'd be doing as well as I am now and like being able to overcome the things that were bothering me. Um, And, you know, I'm still working on things. There's big things that, you know, we never really heal from. We just learn how to, you know, cope with them and like, you know, come to a place of peace with them. But I just wanted to mention that because it is um, so important, medication and therapy in the healing process. Um, Do I think I'll never experience severe depression or suicidal ideation again? Probably not, sadly. But at least I now have the wisdom and strength from all of these years that I have been battling it to put up a good fight. And like I said, I am on medication and I do have coping skills that keep me grounded. And if they don't, I have plans in place to get me there. And that is really important. You'll find out in therapy, if you ever go to therapy, that when you're experiencing suicidal ideation or severe depression, you do need a plan. You know, you need... Plan of what you're going to do when you experience these things. And the reality is, you know, looking back, me even a year to two years ago, I did have a couple episodes of suicidal ideation. And I remember I just felt so much better than I had in previous years because, you know, I was seeing a therapist and I knew what to do. And You know, I I was able to text them and be like, hey, I need a session this week or, you know, hey, I'm going to reach out to this friend because that's what we talked about in therapy or I'm going to put on this music or take a walk or whatever I needed to do to get me to a place of grounding, mindfulness, um, meditation, whatever. And those things are so vital and it's not always super easy to put that together yourself So I think just like going over your plan for when you do fall back into suicidal ideation or really bad depression, that you have a plan um, to get back to, you know, steady ground, like just feeling connected to yourself, feeling hopeful. I read a book once um, that actually really did, I want to say like kick off my healing journey Um, It was a couple years ago. I want to say, man, four years ago, five years ago. Uh, It was called The Adult Chair. And it's by Michelle Shelfont. And it really influenced my mindset around mental health and healing our inner child wounds so that future us could live healthy and authentic lives for ourselves, the people around us, and our kids. I was so moved by the words in that book. And she also has a podcast, but I felt like everything she was saying was verbatim what I was experiencing in my life. She goes through this model called the adult chair and how using it helps you to understand how your experiences have shaped you and using that knowledge to become your authentic, healthy self. So I'm going to walk through just a little bit about what these uh, chairs even are so i'm just literally reading this off her website but there's three chairs essentially so think of it like this the first chair is the child chair and your inner child forms between ages zero and seven and it's the foundation of your true feelings and your needs the inner child is deeply vulnerable which makes it the source of deep connected relationships It is also where early wounding can occur, which shapes our view of the world as we grow up. When seated in the child chair, we find creativity, passion, spontaneity, trust, and intimacy. The adolescent chair is basically the idea that in adolescence, you begin to develop your own identity and realize that you are separate and unique from the world around you. As the ego forms, so does the desire to protect yourself whether the dangers are real or imagined. When seated in the adolescent chair, we become perfectionistic, judgmental, and controlling, and we develop a mask to hide our authentic selves from a world that seems cold and rejecting. Most of us live from this place until we awaken and decide we're ready to change. And finally, the adult chair. The adult chair represents your highest self, living in the present moment, dealing with facts and truth over stories and assumptions, and being able to set boundaries from a place of patience and compassion. While seated in the adult chair, we can deeply connect with our inner child's needs and feelings and objectively observe our adolescent's behaviors. It is here and only here that we can become aware of and overcome the emotional triggers and negative patterns that hold us back. So essentially, this book and the podcast is about we all have these three chairs within us. And, you know, sometimes when you're feeling a certain way, I remember her describing it as like, which chair are you in right now? Like, you know, she talks to her clients and she's like, they're explaining a situation or whatever. And she's like, which chair do you think you're in right now? And they'll be like, you know, the inner child chair or whatever. Um, So it's just interesting because it just is so true. And when I I was listening to this podcast and reading this book, it was the book that I read first and then I got into the podcast, but I was just like, wow, a lot of people really do live in the adolescent chair. You know, we are, we're assuming, um, we're judgmental, we're controlling, we, like develop this mask to hide ourselves so that other people can't hurt us. And on her podcast and throughout the website, I was actually just reading from, she talks about if you have an emotionally healthy childhood and, you know, boundaries were set and you didn't experience trauma, you kind of flow seamlessly from the adolescent chair into the adult chair but if you had a childhood that was messy and there was a lot of trauma involved and boundaries weren't a thing and you were walking on eggshells and you had to hide who you were because you weren't allowed to you know have emotions and you know there was anger and just a lot of things going on violence abuse all of it it's really hard um to step into the adult chair because you're still hurting You have inner child wounds um, that the child chair, you know, talked about where, you know, deep connections are formed when you're a child, but you're also hurt deeply. And there's things that maybe your parent didn't do for you, negligence or no nurturing, things like that can really wound you and, and really be ongoing. It's crazy that, you know, things from that long ago can stick with you. But it's so true and getting to the root of it and being able to understand that, you know, you are the adult now, you're safe now, you're able to give yourself those things that your parent or your guardian or your mentor or whoever it was that hurt you couldn't give you. And that's what her podcast and her book is all about. And I just highly recommend it. It was definitely that place that I was like, it really kickstarted my healing. I got to say, if I could think of a time, of course, like my junior retreat was like that, you know, part of my teenage years that was like, wow, okay. Like, I want to live a different life. Like, I'm hopeful. But this book I read, you know, in my 20s, it really was just like, not only do I want to live a life, like I can live that life. And here are the tools to do that. And yeah, so that's really cool. If you are interested in that book, Um, again, it's called The Adult Chair by Michelle Shelfont. It's C-H-A-L-F-O-N-T. And she made that model up. Like She's amazing. She actually lives in Nashville, Tennessee, which is crazy. But anyways, so in my late teenage years, early twenties, I didn't really understand how big routine and discipline was for a person with depression, but it is almost vital because without it, You feel lost with zero direction, so routine gives you purpose and intention behind the things you're doing. At 26, I read a book called Atomic Habits, and I learned all about building habits and what it looked like to be disciplined. I actually listened to the audiobook on my morning walks with my dog. I wanted to start becoming someone that got up at 5 a.m. and went to the gym. Reading this book helped me get there. I started calling myself a morning person and getting up at 4.30 a.m. to make it to the gym by 5 a.m. I joined Orange Theory, which I didn't even work out at the time, so this was like a huge life change. But I told myself, like the book, I would start acting like the person that got up early and went to the gym before the day started. The book said you're allowed to have one off day, but never make it two. The book kind of felt like my Bible for a while, and let me tell you, it changed my life. I learned from that book that this simple change in my routine, something as simple as getting up earlier and going to work out to start my day, significantly improved my mental health. And I didn't love getting up, don't get me wrong, but 20-year-old me would never have done that. She would have said, I'm not a morning person. She would have not joined OTF because I'm not a group workout person. I'm not a runner. Like, there would have been so many excuses but like when you think about it, how many excuses do we make for ourselves? Seriously, just imagine the person that you want to be and start calling yourself that. If you want to learn guitar and start like, taking lessons? You're a guitarist. Make the phone call to start the lessons and start practicing. You want to run a marathon? Start small by running for 10 minutes a day. You're a runner. Now make it 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, etc. The thing I think we forget about when we look at disciplined, successful people is that they started somewhere. They didn't just wake up one day and start running 26 miles or being able to play the guitar seamlessly. The behind the scenes is where the blood, sweat, and tears is, and that is where we should start. But it's uncomfortable at first, but temporary discomfort today to be the person you always wanted to be tomorrow. And I'm pretty sure that's like kind of a quote from Atomic Habits (laughs) and just a really good quote in general. And I brought all of that up about discipline because that is something that I just learned how to navigate at 26. 26. Like it took me that many years to master discipline, that has been such a huge part of my healing journey. Because it started with the easier things, to be honest, like the discipline to say I was going to get out of my hometown and then actually do it, and then the discipline to go to bed at a certain time, and then it was the discipline to find a therapist here in Nashville. And to even keep trying it when I was exhausted and had been through, you know, therapist after therapist, the discipline to start getting up before the sun is even up and going to Orange Theory when I was literally dead tired. (laughs) And if I hadn't learned this, I would not be the person I am now at 28 because I learned that movement is so important for my mental health and my healing. I was a soccer player for many, many years, so I should have known that. And I think part of me did but executing it is the hardest part and it's all in the mind. I promise that if I can do it, y'all can do it too. The thing here is that you have to realize that everything is going to come in its time. And yes, you have to put some form of effort into achieving the things you want, and into being the person you want to be, but you know when it's time to change when it's time to finally move on into another place, it's like passion that's instilled in us for a reason, carefully curated and woven into your being by the Creator Himself so that He could use you for good, for His good. I think one of the first steps to healing is just the desire to want to heal. And from there, it might take a little time to take the steps to reach out and get the help you need and do the things you need to do. But this isn't a step-by-step, this is how long it takes to do each process. You will start, and then stop, and then regress, and then start again, but it's never too late. There's a quote I really love by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and it goes, For what it's worth, it's never too late, or in my case, too early, to be whoever you want to be. There's no time limit. Start whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best of it or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things that you've never felt before. I hope you meet people who have a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. And if you're not, I hope you have the courage to start over again. The difference between being afraid and being courageous Is One is a feeling, and the other is derived from being able to overcome those feelings. Courageous people still feel fear, but it does not stop them from moving through it. So move through it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dear Younger Me. If you like what you're listening to, leave us a review or a rating, and tell your friends and family. You can also follow along on Instagram at Me underscore